Welcome to Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician living in St. Louis, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Dr. Jean Kidula. She is a professor of music at the University of Georgia, where she has taught since 1998. She's also the author of Music in Kenyan Christianity. This is one of five interviews that I recorded this past summer at the Christian Congregational Music Conference held just outside of Oxford. This is number four in the series, and you can find them all if you look at musicandthechurch.com. I recorded interviews with all of the conference's plenary speakers. Today our conversation is about the language God speaks. More specifically, we're talking about dialect and how dialect is a metaphor that can help us understand, as this is framed, as the language that God speaks, and also how dialect, the small piece of a language, the little slice of a language, how thinking about dialect can also help us think about how big God is and how small our slice of understanding is and how how manifold, how marvelous, how magnificent the language of God is, and we know just one piece of it. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know that you can find previous episodes in this series, as well as, of course, other Music in the Church episodes at musicandthechurch.com, and you can find show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash 44. You can also find my newsletter and resources that I have online for church staff and musicians, as well as my podcast for church staff called. Here's Dr. Jean Kadula. Let's start out by talking about song as a language kind of metaphor, the song as something that is a way to speak with and to and about God. What do you think about that? That, I think, has been fundamental part of many religions, that people use song to speak to God, to speak about God, to speak for God, you know, in, in that sense. So as a mode of communication or as a representation or as a way of emphasizing particular types of um, either words, activities, injunctions from God, where song becomes that an effective carrier or an, ex- in an effective mode, or, or the word itself, you know, because it's, it's more than text, just words themselves. Because in the song, there are ways that you actually pitch it that gains attention. So we have lots of instances in many religions where people intone or recite. And it's not real speech. It feels like recitation or something. And then it develops into song when people start to emphasize certain aspects of it as being maybe crucial or central to the message they want to say in the recitation. So it's it's not a novel thing to think like that, not just about the text, but actually about what, how you pitch it and, and how you intone it and what pitches you use, how I'd arrange you will use, what emotion you're going to portray in whatever melodic or rhythmic or, or harmonic um, gestures you use that sometimes people have associated certain kinds of pitches and riffs and rhythms with particular messages or particular people or deities. So it's not a strange thing. 
so we have this metaphor of language for song, or song as a, as a language and as a means of speaking to God and with God and about God. And then we have this understanding of a song as a dialect. So it might be like a genre of a song or a regional practice, something, um, something that's localized. And you've said something really interesting about this, and I'm, I'm going to quote you now. Song dialects collectively denote an understanding about the language God speaks. So we have the, the Christian here or collectively as a congregation speaking to God, and we have God speaking to us. I get fascinated by God as a believer because I am so different from you, but he speaks to us in the dialect that we understand individually. And you have a tribe of people that are part of your musical group who speak a certain dialect of music. And I speak another dialect. Maybe there's some that we speak in, in common. And God understands all of them. That's where I come from. The differences that we have tell us something about our own differences. But at the same time, they tell us something about the diversity of who God is. Like how big God is. Not just, yes, let's say how big God is, but how like my father used to say, how vast is the sum? You know that, mm -hmm. that verse that says, how vast is the sum of them all? Why I to number them, the thoughts that God has for me, the sum is so vast. Or his ways mm -hmm. are so magnificent. And it's like, it's like a kaleidoscope of colors. And, and you, 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 you might like blue and just one shade, which is like a dialect of blue. Mm -hmm. And blue is a dialect of color. Yeah. And, and, um, Often we don't think, uh, I don't think that people, many people think about how the others relate to God as a dimension of the, the glory of God. So sometimes people think a dialect is the total language. A dialect is just one type mm -hmm. in a language. Yeah, it's just one piece. Yeah, it's yeah. just one piece in in the language. And we fight a lot trying to get other people to speak our languages. Mm -hmm. No, I'm saying it the right way. No. Say it how I say it. Yes. Yeah. And we fight for those kinds of things a lot. You know, you go to church and people are like, oh, I don't like this song. And somebody else is like, I love it. And and we we're like, how can you love that? And it's like... Are you telling me that I only have to love that little sliver that you love? But there's so much more to it than that sliver. And for me, the different songs that exist that speak of God and to God and about God are even bigger than the dialects that exist in Christianity. And the dialects that exist in Christianity are many. Mm -hmm. There are many over time, there are many over space. And amazingly, God speaks through the times and the places and the people to all of them mm -hmm. at yeah. the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a scripture that I, and I can remember exactly where it is. I think it's in Isaiah or somewhere where he says, the things that we know are the ones that God has revealed to us. But sometimes we behave as if what we know 
is the total amount of knowledge. Mm. As if we know all the things about God. Yeah. Or all the things that there are to know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we've arrived at all the knowledge we could have. Yes. And sometimes every generation does that. We do something amazing like we discover an airplane and it's just those brothers trying to fly over a small piece of space and they think they've arrived. Mm -hmm. Then Boeing comes up and has these crazy huge planes that are bigger and more faster and more magnificent and they think they've done something amazing who knows in 20 years there may be some crazy people somewhere else who come with something that's even more than so over time we kind of uh, every generation often thinks that they're the ones who have epitomized whatever it is that humanity is about mm -hmm in terms of song, in terms of invention, in terms of even our understanding of scripture. We're sitting in a library full of people's thoughts about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the books are many, and they're not enough. They actually are not enough. Yeah, they can't so, contain all of it. No. And God continually reveals himself to every generation. And we read what he did to those who came before us and... They thought that was the ultimate. And then you read the scripture again and you get a new thing and you're like, how can that speak to me today in my context so deeply? Mm -hmm. And yet I thought those people who lived in the Middle Ages who wore girls' clothes when that we think of now girls' clothes, we thought they were wearing bad clothes. You know, things mm -hmm. like that. And that's where I, I like to go with this thought. Thinking about song is as as a type of expression, a type of communication, a type of um, a type of um, a way to worship. But there's so many dialects to it, so many dialects to it, and 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 you can think about genres. You can, I mean, there are many ways we have expressed that kind of dialectic um, subdivision. <laughs> But to think about it like that gives me room to respect somebody else's expression in another time or in another place to the same God that we worship. This is making me think of how, how so often in our religious spaces we're very concerned about being correct and right and I have the right way and you have the wrong way because you do it different from, differently than I do. And this is a completely different way of understanding difference, right? Because it's not wrong to have a different dialect than somebody else. And it's not wrong to speak to God in a different way from somebody else. If your dialect is different. That's the dialect he gave you. Yeah. That's the dialect he gave you. Mm -hmm. And maybe in speaking to you and learning your dialect, I get richer because mm -hmm. I've learned something more that mm -hmm. I've added to what I know. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times actually new styles and new dialects are born because people interact with each other yeah, yeah. and they take, oh, this seems to fit so well with this and they put together something and then people look at it and they're like, ah, oh, kind of sounds familiar and then it doesn't. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I don't. Change is scary. Yeah, like that. And then about 10 years later, people are wondering, well, are we fighting about that again? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. So um, it's it's... I think about it also in the ways that I I believe that um, 
I believe about the body of Christ being made up of many members and each member having a thing. And sometimes you have some members who want you to do their job. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, or maybe you are, you are called to help others, but the other people are not called to do that. But sometimes it's such a, a huge calling on some other people's parts that they want everybody to do exactly what they do. Because they think that's the perfect way to do it. And then a few years later, somebody else comes and says, oh, maybe you could have done this. And you're like, oh, yeah, it sounds like something somebody was saying a few years ago. But the way they said it wasn't exactly, it's just you weren't there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. At that point with them. So, I mean, it's just, this is just one way that I think. I, I, I acknowledge that there will be other people who will interpret these things differently. And that's part of the glory of God, uh, the, the mystery of God, that we, we are so, we can even be twins and then still think differently. Same mom, same dad arrived at the same hour, came out the same way, and then we just, they don't understand how can we think so differently. That's the mystery of God. That's how, it's unfathomable. It really is. I was uh, reading something from Father Richard Rohr, who is a Catholic priest, Catholic mystic, and he said something to the effect of, "God is a mystery, and a mystery isn't doesn't mean that it's un, that God is unknowable, but that God is infinitely knowable." And I think that's kind of what you're saying that this is. There's so many ways of speaking to God with God about God, an infinitely un an unnumberable amount of dialects. Mm-hmm. And we can continue to learn and know and grow from each other, um, and that doesn't diminish. Doesn't diminish. It makes things bigger. It helps us to see the bigness mm-hmm. of God. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. make God bigger. Mm-hmm. It's us whose eyes begin to be opened to the wonder of who He is. Mm-hmm. Be able to see that. Yes. To, to experience this. Yes. Yeah. And then He gives us a little bit of that capacity because we are able to learn other people's dialects. You know, it's wonderful. Yeah. And so we are made in his image that way that he gives us, you know, we have some of that capacity, but we are not as, we are not all knowing the way he is mm-hmm. or awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. way that he is. And, and so, you know, um, I think about dialects that way. There's some that people think are union dialects, like if you study linguistics, it's a dialect that people have developed where um, they think like like Queen's English, which I grew up learning. Mm-hmm. And then I came to the UK and I went to some part of London and I didn't understand what English they were talking. Oh. Because that was not the standard dialect that was exported to the colonies. Yeah. So there's union stuff like that, that people think you should aspire to sound like. But those Cockney English people, they eat food, they make it, they communicate with each other. And I can learn that dialect and do what they do and learn how they do it. And maybe they'll even learn new words from me because I come with other experiences that they've never heard before. And I enrich their vocabulary that way. You know, This is a wonderful way of thinking about being part of the body of Christ. Would you like to talk about this in the context of Kenyan song? Oh man, yes, a little bit. Let me try. Kenya, Kenya was actually created as, as a 
political entity by the British made up of different people with different types of languages and dialects. I always have to tell my American students that because they assume that there are many dialects in Kenya but there are not many languages. But there are languages, mm-hmm. different languages, and there are different dialects. And as as I understand it, um, dialects could, are um, a subset of language, yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there are sub-dialects too. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way you think about British English, American English, and then within British English you have this very vast amount of Englishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as yes. my linguistics friends tell me, you can say Englishes. I don't know if it's proper English, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. So we have that. So for example, the way um, I'm identified in Kenya linguistically, I'm identified as a lawyer. But the lawyer were a collection of at least 20 different groups who could sort of understand each other, kind of like Norwegian and Swedish, mm. you know, yeah. that kind of that kind of relationship and Danish. So you can see that some of them are closer to each other and some are farther, but there are some mm-hmm. structures that are similar and, and things like that. And some shared vocabulary. Yes. Yeah. And, and these are part of the Scandinavian group, which is bigger than those three. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, with some that are very much, much less known than the bigger groups because of conquest and empire with those you know, and that happened in Europe a lot. So, um the lawyer were found in well kind of the British confined them in a particular space because um according to a lot of things that I even see today, if you had many sons and your compound was too small, the others migrated and went elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, um there may be some people who speak a dialect of my language in Uganda <laughs> mm-hmm. or in Malawi mm-hmm. that I might actually understand almost all of it. Wow. Because of those kinds of migrations. And then they would set up like that. But with the coming of colonialism, they tried to confine people and make them not move around unless yeah. they insisted that, oh, you need to move now because we need your land or whatever they mm-hmm. were doing. With moving people around. So in Western Kenya, this the majority of the Luya were settled in Western Kenya. My particular Luya subgroup is called Maragoli. And we are at one end of the spectrum, and there's another end of that spectrum called Bukusu. Mm-hmm. And I barely understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But if I sat down and really concentrated and listened, I might be able to make sense of the sentence. Mm-hmm. But the intonation is different. Uh, there are words there that when they say them, they mean the opposite of what we mean. <laughs> you know, or the word for up may be the word for down. I don't know. There are things in that language that if, if I wasn't paying attention, I would not understand anything they're talking yeah, about. Yeah. But if I paid good enough attention, I will hear. Um, I, I will start to make out mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. Kind of like if you, if you sit with a German long enough and you're English, you can, yes, you there's could, words yeah, that you... Yeah, there are words, and you might be able to make sense of, oh, this is the general gist of what they were saying. I recently taught my toddler that um, the word for submarine in German is Unterseeboot, and he just thought it was hilarious, because even as a three-year-old, he could hear undersea boat in Unterseeboot. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a little American kid. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, there is Bantu languages, and that's a 
much even bigger group. Mm-hmm. And then within the Bantu, we have this lawyer. And then within this lawyer, we have these 20 dial, um, sub subgroups. And within the subgroups, we have dialects, mm-hmm. different kinds of dialects Yeah, uh, within those subgroups. Now, imagine that there are 40 languages in Kenya like that, mm-hmm. like completely different languages. Mm-hmm. And then all the dialects. And all then the all the dialects. the dialects. Oof. Yes. Wow. So imagine the the different kinds of music that each of them makes. Yeah. That's kind of unfathomable to me. Well, and we are not the ones with the most amount of craziness. Tanzania has even more. Nigeria has even more. So a lot of African countries, most African countries are made up that way. There are maybe one or two African countries where it's one main language and then there's dialects, like mm-hmm. Botswana, I think. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but Botswana is one main language and then there are subgroups. Although there are the Hoysan, who is a whole other story that mm-hmm. I can't go into. So imagine growing up in such an environment and then add on to it all the missionaries who came from Europe, different countries in Europe and the States with their musics. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then lay on top of it, the Imperial British Empire, insisting on us learning whatever the British thought was important for people in the British Empire to know. And the British didn't come alone. They almost always brought indentured um, people from, from India, mm-hmm. Pakistan, Burma. So we have all those Hindu people in there and Gujarati speaking Hindi, Gujarati, I don't know, Punjabi. Mm-hmm. In depending on where you are, and sometimes there would be in little villages because they are the ones who owned the village shop. Because they oh, were yeah. yeah, they were merchants. Mm-hmm. So there are some villages where there were resident Indians, and you're like, whoa, whoa. like from the Indian subcontinent, Sri Lanka, all that, all mm-hmm. that group. And then we are on the coast, on the Indian Ocean coast. So there was always trade with the Arabs, and Persians, mm-hmm. and the Turkish. And I was in China some years back, and one Chinese town called Guangzhou uh, was, had people who sailed from there to Eastern Africa. So there were Chinese down there. There is also evidence of Indonesians because of the monsoon winds blowing boats of people around there and people going to find new lands. So there's all this going on along the coast and then the British come and the Germans and whoever else is coming to explore the continent, bringing all these their stuff in there with their music and their languages and stuff. So you grow up learning all kinds of things. When I went to school, um, we learned we, we British tunes. We could sing, you know about no not what comes on me that does my spirit i'm trying to think which that is we, we sang about some king british king who was scottish and i don't know you know we i sing these songs to my students in my class and they start laughing because they don't expect that i would know those songs oh yeah like we're stirring home and a song in the air light in the air and it's goodbye to care laughter and love and welcoming there all of my heart, my own. It's about some British king yeah. coming back to some Scottish show, Irish show. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's Scottish. You know, and mm-hmm. we sang this in high school and we did Scottish country dancing. Uh, you know, that the stylized yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those kinds of things that oh. you learn. And then you learn about um, the Portuguese who are there because they were the first explorers to get there. And so they had intermarried with uh, some Indians and so there were some... Uh, people who are um, 
of that intermarriage so we learned songs you know in in that in that style because you know it was christmas time the indians would have their um diwali festival and you'd hear these songs you know yes no yes no the indian thing that they do with the head (laughs) so imagine in that kind of climate how diverse the musical languages are and you have to learn one or two because you are in school and the mm-hmm. school is Christian and stuff. And and depending on where those Christians were from, if they were Catholic, if they were Anglican, if they were Presbyterian, if they were Lutheran, you know, mm-hmm. these are all European yeah, nations yeah, yeah. with their things. So you mm-hmm. are singing Lutheran hymns, uh, Bach chorales, and uh, you are singing American gospel. And <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is the world that was exposed to me growing up because I'm growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, and this coming out of colonialism, mm-hmm. it's still very rich over there. My mother is even worse because she was learning British British. Mm-hmm. She speaks English and and people think she's 87 and people think she, she's British mm-hmm. because she learned the British accent yeah, yeah. like that. So imagine that's the kind of musical world that you grew up with. And then on radio, you are listening to Cuban uh, rumba and Brazilian samba, which also has been translated into some African um, types from Congo Zaire, Angola. You're growing up with all these sounds and you are also listening to South African stuff, Kuala stuff. This, this, this was the world that I grew up in. So if you're going to think about musical styles that are going to be in the church, you have to think, okay, so which one of these is sinful and which one of it is not? And most probably the African ones will be excluded because um, of the prevailing worldview about the worthiness of African music in the church. Mm -hmm. So that's what will be excluded and so will the hindu ones and arabic ones because the hindu the hindi ones will be excluded because of hinduism and the arabic ones will be excluded because they were associated with islam but they're all in the soundscape Mm -hmm. that you are surrounded with on top of whatever else is happening in your village so if you were to think that god created all this and we only got a whatever taste it was of whoever migrated there and decided to teach us whatever it was they had learned from wherever they came from. And wherever they came from had a whole lot more than what they came with in that sense. How big is God? Just how big is God? So I went really far from your question. Now this is, (laughs) you're you're going right into the truth. (laughs) That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about truth. We're talking about what it means to be a person of faith. And what it means to worship God. Do you want to talk about ethnodoxology? This is this is a word I think some of our listeners won't ever have heard before. So can you even tell us what what even is ethnodoxology? Ethnodoxology. Ethnodoxology is 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 actually a term that was coined by a man called David Hall. H a l l. H a l l. And it comes. It 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 was a fusion of the word. The Greek word that means people, ethnicities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ethnic. People think ethnic and they think like tribal. And no, no, no. It's really about peoples mm-hmm. in the Greek origin. And doxology as praises. Mm-hmm. People's praises. Now, the people who have adopted this term for usage 
tend to be people who work in the arts in mission mm-hmm. because a lot of times people associate praises with the arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or express their praise through art. Yes. And many people think about art and praise in church as if it's only song. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't include, many times people don't include um, preaching because preaching is a rhetorical art form that it, a good preacher has to be good with words and the mm-hmm. way he puts them mm-hmm. together or she puts them together and the, 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 the rhythm, the, you know, it's, 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 it's an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there is art forms that, like, like we are now in England, so you have to think about the stained glass windows and stories that were painted to tell people who didn't know how to read what the story was of the birth of how how you can put the whole story in one window mm-hmm. you know or in one stained glass piece like that that kind of thing those kinds of <laughs> glorious exp- expressions and mixtures of color that was uh, pleasing to the people who created them was you know and some of it you know has been lauded above other arts and there's dance then there's theater of different kinds a poetry there is um storytelling and narrating a good storyteller is not just anybody i am not a good storyteller you have to meet my sister bilha because when she starts telling a story you sit there and you are like oh my god oh my god yes she's like that Um, i ramble she Mm -hmm. doesn't so she she has the art form too so thinking broadly about the arts like that, but also recognizing that different people in different times and different places have found different kinds of arts that speak to them or different forms of the same art speaking in different ways to them. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the, when um, the International Council of Ethnodoxologists is a group of people who think through these things, uh, started to get together. They were interested in, first of all, m- helping people or encouraging people to recognize, first of all, that whatever art form God has given them that's amazing or crafts, because you know how people have some amazing crafts and things mm-hmm. like that, that yeah. they portray all kinds of things with, that he has given them, that God has given them are all equally valid that you know a british art form isn't better than a portuguese one Mm -hmm. or a zulu one because we have no idea what motivated that kind of thing in time and in space so part of it was to encourage people to know that what god has given them to praise him with is god given and Mm -hmm. they, they can use it they should not be afraid to use it and think, okay, maybe if my art form was more like Michelangelo's, then it would praise God better. Oh, you know, like to be more worthy. Yes, you know. So this is how people talk about children sometimes. That if only they could understand better, then they could, you know, be more a better Christian. Or if if only you know they could read well or whatever it is that the little child can't do, then somehow 
somehow they're lesser than because they're not. Oh, no, but they forget. Yeah. Jesus said you need to be like that little yeah. child to actually. Yeah. To enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And because the kid trusts yeah. that what, yeah. what they have is, is acceptable. And, mm-hmm. and then if it isn't, they learn. Mm-hmm. And this is what God made. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that part of it. The other part was, um, for some of them, it was a frustration with wheresoever they were serving, where people were embarrassed or ashamed of what they, they had. Mm-hmm. So they always wanted to learn the latest hill song because they thought God will listen to that one better than he will listen to their own song, even if they don't understand what hill song is it talking about because it's another language. No, wow. Some people would try to learn English songs because uh-huh. it's a big language because they think that's the language that God understands. He doesn't understand the little language, <laughs> you know? And, but this has a history, missions. Yeah. So really there were also terrible coming, history with missions. Yeah, yeah. They're also coming out of that terrible history of missions, which was related to political and economic colonialism as well. And mm-hmm. the mindset at the time and whatever people were trying to accomplish for themselves at the time. Yeah. That demeaned everybody else except the conquerors. Mm-hmm. Like that. So you have the, all these things feeding into um, helping the church to praise God with the arts that they know well. They're not necessarily... I'm anyone to say comfortable with, but the arts that God has given them that their culture accepts even that this is good art or mm-hmm. this is art. Yeah. And we are doing this and it's going to get better like that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's part of the motivation that brought together the idea of having people think about praising God all the people praising God doesn't mean that you all praise God in the same language. Yeah. Like that's not what being part of the same body means. No. Yeah. Because being part of the same body doesn't mean all of you are fingers. Mm-hmm. You know? So all these many languages that God has allowed or created or enabled have words or they have the potential they all can be used in the praise of, of the living God. So that's where ethnodoxology started. That it's an encouragement for people of all nations and tribes. You know, that passage in Revelation that says at the throne, there will be people of all languages and tribes. Mm-hmm. How will you know them unless they utter it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a powerful question. Yes. Because How would you know they were from all nations? No. If they weren't speaking? Yes. Yeah. And speaking their own tongues. Mm-hmm. You know? And some people think that, oh, you will know because, you know, you will see they're Indians. No, somebody might look like an Indian, but maybe they're half Indian and half Norwegian. They just happen to look mm-hmm. Indian. Yeah. Yep. But until they speak, you may not know. Or if you see a, you see a sea of black people, you might think they all speak the same language. Like people ask me to speak African to them and like, there's no such language mm-hmm. except in South Africa. No. It's Africans, but there's no African yeah. language, like a language called African, you know. So seeing a sea of black faces, maybe they're from the Caribbean. 
and they speak English. Mm-hmm. And then standing next to them is a Yoruba man who looks exactly like them. Mm-hmm. They have a heritage, yeah. a shared yeah. heritage, but not a shared language. So the way we will praise God, or we ought to, every day as we come to the throne, because every day we come to the throne of grace, mm-hmm. it's every language, every tribe, every nation like that. So the song that comes from your nation isn't better than the song that comes from my nation. It's what we do with that song that makes a difference. It's who we worship with that song that is what makes for <laughs> who is a Christian and who isn't really. Because people sing songs to all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, yeah, we do. So that's where um, one starting point with ethnodoxology, but there's many different strands that people have will talk about and explain through and I'm sure that the term will probably be taken by other religious groups who practice praise mm-hmm. but for me it depends on who is that praise directed to mm-hmm. praise of the people it has been really wonderful to talk with you I, I'm I'm uh, sitting over here with like wet eyes because this is this is the truth this is the gospel here so I'm really thankful that you've been on the on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Dr. Jean Kadula for this conversation. You can find show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 44, where you can also find lots of resources for church staff and musicians. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza. <laughs>